morning. This morning we're on week two of our series, Jacob's Wrestlings. Last week we learned about Jacob's deception with his brother Esau and how as followers of Jesus we are to clothe ourselves with righteousness. Like Jacob, we're not perfect, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of God's grace, we can learn to be more like Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. So this week we are on to Genesis 28. I love passages like this one because there's so much to learn and always a couple little side trails to head down. But there's always one big lesson. And the one big lesson I'm going to let you in on today before we ever get started. So we're going to talk about it. I'm going to tell you what it is. We're going to talk about it. And then I'm going to close with it again. The big lesson this week is that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Even when you can't see the the way clearly, our Heavenly Father is completely trustworthy. Should we be like Jacob who seemed to need to put God to the test all the time? On more and more occasions, we, th- we see throughout his life that he was testing God. Or should we just take our Heavenly Father at his word and follow his leading? There's a little more to the backstory and a couple of side trails that we're going to get to before we get into the big lesson this week. Here's a bit more of the backstory. Jacob's trick- trickery and birthright stealing had really upset his brother Esau. In fact, Esau said that he planned on killing Jacob after his father Isaac had passed away. Now, that's pretty mad. I hope you've never been that mad before. That's our first little side trail that we get to head down this morning. I love it how when Jesus in the New Testament, he takes what the Old Testament says, he affirms it, and then he explains it. And this is how he explains it. Matthew 5, 21 to 22 says, Have you heard that it was said to the people long ago? You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will also be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So maybe you haven't committed murder, but maybe you've been angry and you've called your brother a fool. Maybe you've gossiped about them, etc., etc., Our passage here says that we are subject to judgment. And for this, confession is needed. In the case of Jacob and Esau, who do you think actually needed to confess here? I would say both of them needed to confess. First of all, Jacob for cheating his brother. And secondly, Esau for planning to kill Jacob and having a malicious intent in his heart. Neither one was in the right here. The question for you today is do you have someone that you need to make things right with today? Get it done today. So, back to our story. Obviously, Esau had been talking about what he was going to do to Jacob because Rebekah, his mother, found out. She decided that it would be safer for Jacob to get out of there and go and live with her brother Laban and his family. So to Jacob, Laban would be Uncle Laban. The map with the more white on it would actually be the map with the modern-day countries and boundaries. If you look at the map, Jacob actually traveled up through modern-day Israel, through Lebanon, and then right to the northern part of Syria. Laban lived in a place called Padan Aram, which is actually more of a region, and the specific place that he lived in was Haran. 
For us today, it would be like saying we live in Ontario, but more specifically, we live in a place called Godridge, or we live in a place called Blythe, or we live in a place called Auburn. Abraham had actually lived in Haran for a while, while he was on his way to the promised land that God had uh, set out for him. Abraham's father had been traveling with them up until this point, and while they were living in Haran for a couple of years, Abraham's father had actually died, and he was buried there. This place, Haran, is also where Jacob's mother was from. She'd grown up there, and if you remember, Abraham, when he was looking for a wife for his son Isaac, actually sent his servant to Haran to find a wife for Isaac. That would be Jacob's dad. So this place is very, very significant to their family. So to send their son there is almost like giving him a change of scenery, uh, giving him a new perspective, giving him maybe a safe place to be and some good family to be around and some stable people to be around, maybe even to help him mature a little bit. So Jacob was leaving a place called Be'er Sheba and heading north to Haran. This would have been probably around an 800-kilometer trek. So it would have been like walking from here to Montreal or from here to Sault Ste. Marie or even from here to Timmins. For a guy who hadn't been out on the land very much, this would have been a rather shocking experience. I wonder how many of you remember how old Pastor Ernest actually told us Jacob was last week in his message around this time. He said that Jacob would have been probably in that 50 or 75 to 77 years old. So people actually aged a little bit differently back then than they do now. People lived a lot longer back then. So Jacob, at the age of 75, would have been considered more of a middle-aged guy than an older guy, like we would have considered him today. But even with this consideration in mind, this land that he was going to be traveling through was not very forgiving land. Hot desert-like conditions during the day, cool nights, no companions to travel with, no protection from wild animals, no protection from thieves. This was going to be a character-building trip. Before he left, his dad had one more critical instruction for Jacob. He said, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go to Padan Aram and find a wife there from among our family. This is an extremely important thing to note and our second little side trail before we get to the main point. Isaac knew that this family was a family of faith. What he was doing was he was telling his son Jacob, above all else, son, you need to find your wife, yourself a wife who believes in the one true God, just like you do. You need to find yourself a wife who believes in the one true God, just like you do. So often today we see people who are looking for a marriage partner and the idea of finding someone who is a follower of Jesus is way down the list. It's almost like it's a bonus when it actually should be priority number one. Brett Allman says, Chase hard after God and if you find someone who is keeping up, introduce yourself. This seems like good advice to me. This point is so critical that I want to reiterate this thing once more to you. Marriage to someone outside of the Christian faith is like continually living in a divided house. And we're going to cover that a little bit later. God has a plan for our lives, and that plan is to glorify him and all we do. So marriage to a person who is not a follower of Jesus, this person will not have the same priorities in their life 
as a follower of Jesus would. They will want to go one way, and the follower of Jesus will want to go another. For instance, how money is spent. A follower of Jesus will obediently want to give their tithe, whereas an unbeliever, this is not going to be a priority. Or raising children, a follower of Jesus will want to raise their children to also know Jesus. And for the one who does not follow Jesus, this will not be a priority. This was such a big issue to our Heavenly Father that he continually stressed this point all the way through his word. Only followers of Jesus are marriage material. Back to our passage. Two to three days into the trip, Jacob stops one night at a place called Bethel. This is a rather special place. Abraham had built an altar to God in this area when he arrived at the land that God had promised him. This is also the region where Abraham and Lot had decided to part company. And while Jacob had known all of these stories, he probably wasn't even thinking about them. He was just looking for a place to lay down and sleep. We know that there is never any accidents with God. Bethel, the the name that Jacob gave to this place, actually means the house of God. And this became a very significant place for, in Jacob's life and in the life of the nation to follow. Jacob laid down for the evening, his head on a stone, and soon he fell asleep. Soon he was dreaming and he dreamt about a huge staircase. The staircase reached all the way to heaven. And it was so wide that the angels of God were continually walking up and down the staircase. Genesis twenty-eight thirteen to 15 says, There above it stood the Lord. Above it meaning above the ladder stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are laying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This verse actually, these few verses actually carry some very important lessons for us to learn. Lesson number one is a question. Must I be perfect to be in relationship with God? This is an argument that I've heard often over the past few years. It comes in a few different forms, but they all really mean the same thing. People say things to me like, when I get my stuff together then God will accept me. Or, God would never accept a screw-up like me. We also see it in their actions when they try so hard to do things to try to appease God somehow. Jacob was far from perfect. God knew him. He knew all of his shortcomings. He knew his sins. He knew his flaws. And he still reached out to him. God knows who you and I are. He knows our imperfections. He knows our, sh- our shortcomings. He knows that we will sin. In spite of all this, his desire is for a deep relationship with us. Imperfect, messed up us. His desire is that we surrender our lives to him and make him Lord of our lives. God is perfect and he cannot be around sin, but when we surrender our lives to Jesus, God now sees us through the righteousness of Jesus. Or another way to say, it, to say this is God now sees us through the perfection of Jesus. 
While we're here on earth, we are going to continue to struggle with sin and the consequences of sin. Take Jacob, for example. He knew the one true God, but he still continued to struggle with the sins of selfishness and pride. God still loved him. His prayer in verse 16 and 17 is a prayer of worship and confession, all tied into one. He recognized the greatness of God and the presence of God. My prayer for you this week is that you will know God's voice in a deeper way. For some of you, you may hear him in an audible way. For some, it could be through dreams. For others, it could be through promptings of the Holy Spirit. But the most sure way to hear from God is to spend time in his word, listening and learning. So no, I don't have to be perfect, but I do need to be ready and to be changed, just as Jacob did. The second thing that sticks out to me is God shows me what is needed, but he doesn't show me the whole picture. God shows me what is needed, but he doesn't show me the whole picture. I'm not sure if this is just me or if this is a guy problem or if there's anyone else out there who deals with this from time to time, but I sure would love it if God would give me the whole picture. If he would show me what he's got for me tomorrow and for next week and for next year, I think that would be pretty amazing. And I suspect I'm not alone on this. This promise that God gave Jacob in the dream is the same promise that he gave to Isaac, Jacob's dad, and Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. This is the promise that holds true for both us today and the the nation of Israel. Let's just focus on the part of the promise that pertains to us. For this family or from this family, a nation was born, and into this nation, Jesus was born. Read through the Old Testament, and you'll find lots of references of a Savior being born from the lineage that leads all the way back to Abraham. For those of us who put our trust in Jesus, we are adopted into this family. I think that's amazing news. We are adopted into this family. Here's what Galatians 3, 7 to 9 says. Understand then that those who have faith, are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, a man of faith. Isn't that a good promise for all of us who are actually Gentiles? We are adopted into this family. Here's his immediate promise to Jacob. I will bring you back here. God didn't give him a timeline. He didn't give him uh, any indication of who would be with him because Jacob was a single man at the time. He just said, I'm going to bring you back here. I'm going to make you a great nation. And this promise that happened to your father and your grandfather is going to continue through you. Number three, God has always been faithful in the past and we know he is unchanging. God has always been faithful in the past, and we know he is unchanging. That promise that God gave him was enough for Jacob. His response in in, uh, 20 to 22 is pretty amazing. This is what he says. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give, I, give me, I will give you a tenth. 
How many times do we ask God or do we tell God our wants and desires, but they aren't actually according to God's will? And then when we don't, we don't get our wants and our desires, we begin to question, don't we? God has never promised that he would give us our wants and our desires. Instead, he promises our needs. Our greatest need, actually, is to know him more, to grow closer to him, and to seek him. Everything else that we, that, uh, we can come across, he'll give us strength to carry on, and he'll lead us through. We can't finish off the passage today without noting Jacob's response. His first response was worship and then thanksgiving. Jacob had grown up hearing the stories of how God was going to make a nation out of the descendants of his family, and now God had reiterated his promise to continue it through him. He knew God was always faithful, and he could always trust in the one true God. His second response was to create a way to remember what God had done. He sets up a stone pillar and pours oil on top of it. As you read your way through the Old Testament, this is something that's actually done fairly often. We need these signposts in our lives to remind us that God has been faithful in the past and he will do it again. He did it with Noah and the rainbow, so why wouldn't he do it again? How is your response to God's faithfulness in your life? A few years ago, one of our Sunday school teachers had their class record things that they were praying for so that they could learn about how God cares for them. For the first couple of weeks, things were a little on the slow side, but as the class began to track the list praying for, of praying for others, they were amazed by how God was at work. Unless we set and really watch what God is doing, we have a tendency to not see what is right in front of us. We need these reminders in our lives. Reminders that God, to give thanks to God for his provision. Reminders to give thanks to God for his protection. Reminders to pray for others, even though we may not know them. Have you ever seen an ambulance go by with the lights on? That's a good reminder to pray for everyone who's involved in the situation. Reminders of God's goodness and control. So let's close things off right back where we started. God is in control and he is completely trustworthy. Nothing is a surprise to him and he will never ever let us down. He cares deeply for us and he wants a deeper relationship with us. That deeper relationship starts with us surrendering our lives to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the way that you you uh, protect us and guide us. Lord, for those who don't know who you are yet, may this be a day where they, they understand that you are completely trustworthy and that they, they can trust you with their lives. Holy Spirit, we pray that, that you would be guiding them. We pray that they would be finding somebody to talk to, and if they need somebody to talk to, that they would reach out. We just pray all these things in your awesome name. Amen.